thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The scripture for today is from the 18th chapter of John, verses 33 through 37. When Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Then Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The word of God for the people of God. Look what I found on my way up this morning. Wes, I think you left your little sheep last week after... Well, we're just going to let him... I don't know where he won't be in the way. Which hand is my worst talking hand? I think it's the right side. So we'll let him sit here so maybe I won't knock him over. Well, good morning. Uh, Happy Christ the King Sunday, which has already been abundantly made clear that that is what today is. Uh, so over the past 12 months, we've, we've been on a journey, so to speak, through the Christian year, which covers the life of Christ. We've followed in the steps of Jesus as he was birthed in a stable and as he grew in wisdom and stature, as he healed and he taught the multitudes and the disciples, as he was crucified and buried and rose again. Uh, we've celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We've reflected on the mission of the church and we've explored what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And last Sunday confirmed some, some brand new believers into this community of faith. And, and today, Christ the King Sunday, is the last Sunday in the Christian year. Uh, it marks the end of that journey. Until next Sunday, when we'll start all over again uh, with Advent. So next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday of the Christian year. But before we get to Advent, it's important that we just pause today and we remember what it means that Christ is our King. What does it mean to claim Christ is King? So today we'll explore what kind of King Jesus is, uh, what he taught about the nature of his kingdom, and what the citizens of his kingdom should look like, sound like, act like in the world. So our passage this morning, as as you heard, uh, is from John 18. And the crucial theme here that John emphasizes and that really 
dominates this entire trial scene is the question about the kingship of Jesus. So the Jewish leaders, they finally arrested Jesus. They've leveled all sorts of accusations against him. And now Jesus is standing before Pilate, a representative of Rome. Now, apparently, the storyline of Jesus claiming to be the king of the Jews has reached Pilate. And so he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus doesn't answer with a yes or no. Instead, he answers by describing what his kingdom is not. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's not from this world. So what's he saying here? He's saying that that any worldly idea of king or kingdom that Pilate had was going to fall drastically short when it came to understanding or defining Jesus' kingdom or Jesus' kingship. Because not only is the origin of Jesus' kingdom different from worldly kingdoms, the foundational goals and the principles of his kingdom are vastly different from any worldly kingdom as well. Here's what he says. He said, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everybody who loves the truth recognizes that what I say is true. To which Pilate responds, what is truth? What is truth, man? Come on, give me a break. Now that's a profound question, isn't it, though? What is truth? I mean, for Pilate, especially because he lived in a world where truth was defined by the people in power. Truth was whatever Caesar said truth was. In addition to that, here he was interviewing a man who, in his estimation, was clearly innocent of any crime, yet whom the Jewish religious leaders said deserved the death penalty. What is truth? Truth seemed to be very relative. Truth truth was what worked for you. Truth was what benefited you, what made you look good, or what got you what you wanted. But you see, that was one of the main ways Jesus' kingdom uh, stood in stark contrast to worldly kingdoms and worldly mindsets. No matter what his accusers said, you see, Jesus spoke truth. And his kingdom was a kingdom of truth that centered around God's saving activity in the world through the ministry and work of Jesus. Jesus was and is truth. Of course, what's both ironic and sad about this whole situation is that the very people who were supposed to recognize the Messiah when he came, the Jewish religious leaders, were the very ones spinning lies and distorting the truth in order to have him killed. They had practiced distorting the truth and defining truth in their own terms for so long that they couldn't recognize their own king who had come to save them. Truth was standing right in front of them, and they didn't recognize him. So I said they had a habit, a practice of distorting the truth and defining truth based on their own terms. So how so? Well, There's an interesting teaching in the midst of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 
um, where he addresses this problem of distorting the truth in order to get what you want. So it's Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Just, just listen. Um, again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. Clear as mud? Yeah? I thought you'd get that. Now, really, what on earth is Jesus talking about here? And what on earth does this have to do with truth? Well, there was a practice in Israel that went back to ancient times. Like Jesus says here at the start, you've heard that it was said to those in ancient times. There was this practice that where people would take God's name and they would associate God's name with their words in order to bolster their own reputation or the validity of their words, to strengthen the validity and the power of their words. So here's an example of how that probably went down, okay? So let's say you're an ancient Jewish farmer, and let's say your neighbor just hates your guts because your crops are always just way better and your grass is greener, right, than his. So he hates you. And, and then one day, your, your neighbor's donkey goes missing. And so your neighbor's like, I know that, I know that you stole my donkey. Like, I know, I know you, that you did it. I don't have any, he didn't have any proof that you stole his donkey, but he accuses you of stealing his donkey. And so he goes to the elders, and he says, this guy stole my donkey. In fact, I saw him do it. I swear by Yahweh and everything that is holy in Jerusalem that he stole my donkey. So instead of just saying, I think my neighbor stole my donkey, let's investigate that and see if he did, he drags God into it. He uses God's name to make his claim more important. But then let's say they do the investigation and they discover, no, actually, you, you didn't steal his donkey. This guy's aunt came and borrowed his donkey for a garden project that she was working on. She needed his donkey. Um, so what's happened? What's happened? Your neighbor has taken God's name and God's holiness and associated it with his distortion and his crookedness, thus abusing the name of God, taking the name of God in vain and defiling God's name, right? And so laws were given to the people of Israel to stop this from happening, well, as a result of these laws being created, people, they just they didn't use God's name in their oaths anymore, but what developed in Jesus' day was a whole cultural practice and system of using other things that were associated with God but weren't the name of God to swear by. And there were, there were lists of these acceptable things that you could swear by. So what were some of those things? Well, Jesus mentioned some of those things in the passage that we heard. You could swear by heaven um, or by Jerusalem, or you could swear by your own head. You could swear by the temple or the altar, but not the gold in the temple, or not the gift on the altar, right? There are all these specifications and guidelines of what you could 
attached to your claim or your word that was allowable, right? And so then this opened up a whole debate among the rabbis about what counted as a genuine oath and what you really had to be sure you were telling the truth about in order to swear by those things. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that just sounds like a lot of work just to avoid being truthful, Creating these loopholes to get around the law was just a behavior modification. It still did not address the root problem, the heart problem, right? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 5. He's saying, enough with that. Stop multiplying your words in order to bolster yourself. You know, that kind of stuff, that's based in pride. That's, that's maybe based in fear. Clear your heart. Walk in the truth. Be comfortable in the truth of who God is and who you are in light of who God is. Honor and respect the other people in your community enough to be your true self. And to just speak the plain truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than that, Jesus says, comes from the evil one. So Jesus saw in this practice something very dangerous, right? A, a habit that was just covering up a deeper heart issue. And this practice of distorting the truth was a slippery slope, you see, and he knew that. If you're going to distort the truth about little things, you're more likely to begin distorting the truth and defining truth in your own terms when it comes to more significant or weighty issues. So listen to what Dallas Willard has to say about this practice of swearing oaths this comes from his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says this, The essence of swearing that Jesus targets here is about invoking something or someone else, especially God, to make your words seem more significant and weighty. So the aim is to impress others with your seriousness or your piety so that you get what you want. It's a device of manipulation that's designed designed to override the judgment or input of others in order to possess them for our purposes. It's manipulation, or as we say in our culture, spin. And Jesus says it's evil. Instead of loving and honoring others with truthfulness, the intent of spin is to get one's way by verbal manipulation of the thoughts and the choices of others. As 21st century people, we know exactly what he's talking about, don't we? We see it, we hear it, and we participate in it. We do it. All right, I want to direct you now to John chapter 8. This is verses 31 through 59, and I do not have time today to cover this passage in depth, so I commend it to you for your reading later. Uh, it's, wow, this is a passage full of drama. Um, it, it begins with Jesus teaching some Jews who are described in verse 31 as Jews who had believed in him. But the conversation turns sideways so fast 
that most commentators and scholars believe that maybe these were actually just people who were, they were only impressed by Jesus, but who weren't making any room in their hearts to truly receive his word. All right, so the passage, in the passage, Jesus says to them that the way to freedom, the way they're going to find freedom is by continuing in his word. And what he means is that it, it wasn't enough to be impressed by him. No, they needed to take what they'd heard from him and really listen to it and reflect upon it and hold it close and then do what it asked of them. And then he says, when you do that, you'll come to know the truth. You'll see that I am the full revelation of God. You'll come to know the salvation of the kingdom that I'm ushering in. He says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, as the passage continues, things get amped up real quickly. First, they get confused and kind of angry with Jesus for saying that they needed to be set free because they weren't slaves to anybody, right? Totally missed the point. This could be a passage, the heading should say, Adventures and Missing the Point. That is actually what the heading should say. So they get angry with him for saying they needed to be set free. And then Jesus, at some point, uh, calls them out for, oh, a little thing called planning to kill him. And then they accuse him of being possessed by a demon. And then he calls them children of their father, the devil. You see what I mean? You want to go read this passage. This is what he says to them about their father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And because I tell the truth, Jesus says, you don't believe me. And he tells them later, you can't understand because you're, you're not in the right space, right? The passage ends after much more heated debate with them picking up stones to throw at him and, and Jesus narrowly escaping them. It's pretty intense. Um, you should go and read it. Lots of drama. But the essence of the whole exchange is about the fact that Jesus was speaking truth, but they couldn't hear it. They couldn't receive it. They couldn't then understand it because their hearts and their minds were not in the right place. He says to them, there is no place in you for my word. There's no room in your hearts for my message. And my message is one of truth. So the reason I bring these, these passages up, the, the Matthew 5 and the John 8, is because I wanted you to see that the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders over this issue of truth didn't begin when Jesus was arrested or when he was on trial. Truth the importance of accepting it and, and living your life according to truth was a, a big focus of Jesus' ministry and his teaching. Why? Because distorting the truth and defining truth in our own terms is the reason Genesis 3 gives for why humanity is so broken in the first place. 
In Genesis 3, we're presented with a smooth-talking serpent who distorts the very words of God and uses them to manipulate the feelings and the desires and the cravings of Adam and Eve. And once they fell for the deception and decided that they could define truth for themselves, instead of holding fast to what God had taught them, once they embraced that lie and then acted upon it, they were immediately covered with shame and they hid themselves from God. So God comes walking through the garden. He's looking for them and he finds them hiding. And he asks them, why are you hiding? And, And they immediately begin to spin the truth of what had happened so they didn't look so bad. They blamed the serpent They blame each other. They take no personal responsibility for their actions. And the result was broken relationship. They're separated from God, and they struggled to be in healthy relationship with one another from that point forward. This is why Jesus talked so much about listening to and reflecting upon and acting upon the truth of God. Because distorting the truth, defining the truth according to your own terms makes you a captive to sin. The truth, though, walking in it and living by it, it brings freedom. Distorting the truth breaks relationship. Walking in the truth bonds and creates and strengthens relationship and community. So back to this trial scene in John 18. I want you to just just picture, you, you might have to go back and read a few more of the verses before the passage we read today and after what we read today to get a full picture of this on your own. But I just want you to consider the, the contrast between Jesus' presence on this day during this whole ordeal and the way the religious leaders were. Like just the way they were. So the religious leaders, they're working hard and they're, they're striving and they're straining and they're moving fast and they're using lots of words to get their version of the truth accepted, right? Jesus, on the other hand, uses very few words. Really, John's gospel is the most talking Jesus does. And all the other ones, he barely says anything, right? He's calm. He doesn't need to defend himself. He's comfortable in the truth of who God is and who he is in relationship to God. He's confident in his mission and the truth of his mission. I mean, he is just resting squarely in the truth. That is where his confidence and his peace and his strength come from, right? He's not having to figure out what do I need to do next to spin this to get my way. He's like, I know the truth, and I have accepted the truth, and I'm living by the truth, and here I am. I have, I have nothing to defend before you. So one last thing, there's, there's, there's just something within all of us, though, right, that, that leads us at times to spin and distort the truth in favor of ourselves, right? Um, the call, of course, is, is not to do that, to be more like Christ. And so when we notice ourselves um, doing those things, it's important to ask, 
okay, what is it, what's really going on inside here? Like, what is going on in me that is making me feel like I need to do that? So, let me check time. I'm going to tell you a story. Yep, I got time. I'm going to tell you a story. I can't believe I'm embarrassing myself this way. It's not that bad. There's worse stories I could tell you about how I do this. But when I first, when we first moved here nine and a half years ago, Blair Wesley, she's now Blair Kroom, um, she was the youth intern here. And she was 20-something and like just, you know, great young girl. And I was a 39-year-old mom, you know, and so here I am, I'm trying to make friends, and I'm trying to be accepted, and I just want people to like me, right, because I'm the new kid, right, we all do that, right, you're the new kid, you just want to be accepted and liked, and so I'm in the car with Blair one day, and we're riding down the road, and she turns on the Avet Brothers, right, and she says, do you listen to the Avet Brothers, and I said, yeah, I never, never, never heard of the Avet Brothers, but I wanted to be cool, right? I didn't want Blair to be like, oh, she's a 39-year-old mom who's not, right? I mean, like, I had this storyline in my head that was telling me that I wasn't acceptable the way I was, and so I spun something in my favor, well, then she's like, oh, what's your favorite song? And what's your favorite? And I'm like, ugh. I mean, like, she's totally onto me. I was such a nerd. And she obviously was very gracious. And she still talks to me to this day. And I'm very, I'm very glad of that. But there is something in us that causes us to do stupid things like that. And sometimes it is. It's just stupid. Now listen to Avet Brothers, you know. Or it could be worse, though, right? It could be of, of more consequence. It can have a more serious negative outcome when we're spinning truth to make ourselves look good. So we have got to look and go, what is in there that's making me feel like I need to do that? Is it pride? Is it a fear? And what is that fear of, of not being accepted, of not being liked? Is it um, an insecurity? Like, I'm not enough, right? And so then once we zero in on what that root cause is, which is what Jesus was always trying to get at, go deeper. Don't just modify your behavior. Go deeper. What's underneath that? We got to root it out, y'all. We got to root it out. Because Jesus says, that kind of stuff is from the devil. That's just evil. That's not from God. That's not a godly trait. Who you are is enough. Like, you're totally enough. The truth is enough. Anything that leads us to distort the truth has an evil source. And it will not lead us to freedom, but it will only keep us enslaved. Right? This is so important. Because when we're not walking in the truth, right then that's, that's probably the greatest obstacle to becoming a community of human beings who are moving toward healthy, whole, loving relationships. Because you can't build a relationship if you can't be vulnerable. And you can't be vulnerable if you don't trust people. And you can't trust if there's no truth. Right? So here's your challenge for the week. Tell everybody all the ways you lie about yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. We don't want to know. Um, but instead, uh, you can use a concordance if your Bible has one, and you can look up the word truth, and then you can follow all the scriptures that your Bible says, you know, has listed there as connected to truth. Or you can do a Google search, scriptures that talk about truth. 
and you're going to see a ton of scriptures pop up. Just start reading those and see what they say. Spend some time also doing some inward investigating of the subtle ways that you bend or distort the truth in order to serve yourself. Make yourself look good, get what you want, okay? And then consider how, how you may not be fully, fully trusting God, right? Why, why might you not be fully trusting God in some way? What's causing you to distrust Him, okay? And then confess whatever you discover. Be truthful, right? Because living in the truth, living in God's truth, begins with being truthful with yourself. I gotta be truthful with myself first. And then I can be truthful with God. And when I'm truthful with myself and with God, I can be truthful with other people, right? So this is the work we all must do in order to step into greater freedom. God's not gonna put any chains on you because you confess the truth to him and to yourself. It will actually release you and you will be free, okay? Um, so I invite you, I encourage you to consider these things this week. Consider how you need to amend those things. Pay attention, catch yourself, and know that you can trust your God fully, your king of truth with whatever it is that you bring to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for this word of truth and we um, pray in the words of David, search me, O God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me, all of us, Lord, in the way everlasting. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.